Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, your host, and I am joined in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK by David Sanger of the New York Times, Ed Luce of the Financial Times, and Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University. And in New York City, we have with us former Undersecretary of State for the Obama administration, Bob Hormatz. So, Russia. We talk about Russia in a lot of different ways. We're going to play Russia lightning round here because there's so much to talk about with Russia. And I'm going to start with you, Ed Luce. Russia, Italy. China. Explicate. Explicate. Well, I mean, the Italian elections of, uh, you know, the arguably the third biggest populist shock, the outcome of them um, after Trump and Brexit. We have... The Berlusconi centre-right or the far-right, including some post-fascist quotation marks parties between them, uh, getting between... You you say post because you're not sure if they're post-fascist. We're not sure if they're post-fascist. Between them, 60 to 66% of the vote, up to two-thirds of the vote, going to the the lunatic right or the far-right. And I say lunatic, meaning Berlusconi. Uh, And uh, this is by far the worst result, just sort of on a numerical grounds of any election we've seen um, since this populist wave began. The Social Democrats vanished less than a fifth of the vote, uh, as was true in Germany. Um, And the Russians, of course, um, as they tried, and I think to a large extent failed in France and Germany, but as they tried and to a large extent succeeded in the United States, played a very big role in helping muddy the waters in Italy, in helping um, to spread fake news and in funding far-right parties um, that benefited so handsomely on Sunday. So the Italian election is something, you know, we, we tend to discount Italy. Um, as being operatic and its politics being sort of hopelessly fragmented and hard to understand. But this is really easy to understand. Uh, This is a huge victory for Putin. Um, this is this is a big victory for Steve Bannon, who was actually there when it happened. And though I hate to credit him, you know, had the foresight to see this outcome um, and to express its importance to his agenda. Um, and by implication to Putin's agenda. So this is this is big, big news. It is big news. And Rosa, you got to look at this and you got to say, Putin's doing pretty well with this cyber campaign of his. I mean, you know, he's got Trump in power and Trump is behaving. I mean, you know, is he a spy? You know, no, probably not. Is he a, colluded? Did he collude? We'll see. But if 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 Putin like cooked him up in a test tube and said, 
this is what I want in an American leader to blow up alliances, to cause this kind of tension, to cause fighting at home, to cause doubt in de- democratic institutions. You'd end up with Trump. That was pretty good. Brexit, pretty good. Yeah. Italy, pretty good. I mean, I, I think I, I'm summoning up the, the spirit of our, our friend of the deep state, Julia Yaffe, who reminds us that Putin is not some kind of mastermind who who is pulling all of the strings everywhere. Um and I think she's it's actually an important reminder that he himself is a thug. He doesn't have a crystal clear set of strategic objectives himself. That being said, I also think insofar as his strategic objective, rightly or wrongly, for the sake of Russia's future, boils down to confusion to my enemies. He's doing a great job of just sowing confusion and chaos. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think that the Russians do have the ability to kind of fine tune their meddling to to achieve any particular result. But insofar as what they're trying to do is just just cause chaos, they've done a great job of that. You know that that we are we are busily. Uh, you know, we don't know who to trust anymore. The Europeans, you know, to some extent in, in France and Germany were a little bit more successful at anticipating and they're therefore defanging Russian disinformation campaigns, uh, obviously in Italy, not so much. Um, yeah, but, don't, but, let's not forget Hungary. Yeah, not, not Poland. Let's see. Right. Exactly. No, I, I think that from Putin's perspective, uh Europe and the United States are just where he wants them, which is which is in a state of uncertainty and chaos and, and, and unable to project power in a coherent way themselves. Whether any of this is good for Russia in the longer term uh, is much less clear. And I think the answer to that is probably no. You know, that Putin's also made a lot of strategic mistakes. I don't think the situation in 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 Syria is particularly good for him. I don't think long term the situation in Ukraine is good for him. Uh, but 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 <laughs> in a in a chaos causing way, he's he's clearly patting himself on the shoulder. No, no, Bob, you sometimes speak to Russians, don't you? Have you been to Russia recently? I uh, have not been recently, but I participated in numerous summits with with Putin over the course of the time I was in government. And actually met him originally in St. Petersburg when he was deputy mayor of Sobchuk. And, and he, he understands the West much better than we think. He spent a lot of time in Dresden. I talked to him about that. He, he, was, he was very familiar with the politics of these countries. He, he, had a, he had a window on the politics. So he sort of understands the general discomfort that people have with the EU, with trade, with immigration with a whole range of things and with elites. Um, and he understands this enough to play on it. So what he has done, he's not really the cause of all this unrest and instability and right-wing, left-wing populism, uh, but he understands it, and he's uh, uh, fueled the, the flames. He's, he's blown on the flames and exacerbated the problem quite substantially by causing people to be uh, uncertain about their government's uh, disinformation using Russian agents throughout the region. So he's made the most of a situation that was already evolving. Well, and, and also he, he, he's also running for office, and we'll, we'll come to a speech he gave in a minute when we talk to David. But in running for, for office, I think there is some recognition um, that, that this stuff works for him. That, that, you know, the Russian people kind of like this. And one example of that, which was a story that's broken fairly recently, is the Russian press saying, you know, we we nixed Mitt Romney as secretary of state. 
You know, we, 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 we have enough control over Trump to help pick and choose who's in his cabinet. And this is the kind of thing that the Russians like. I mean, you know, Trump was, I mean, Putin was uh, interviewed, I think, by that great journalist, um, Megyn Kelly, um, like a week ago. And, and was asked something to the effect of, what's the worst thing that happened during your lifetime? And he said, the fall of the Soviet Union. He said many times before. Right. But I mean, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, anything that gives them a little back is... Well, the, the thing about it is it enables him to use this against the pro-democracy forces in Russia. People who argue that we should have more democracy, that we don't need a strong leader. He goes and shows, well, look what happens in these countries that do have democracy look at the kind of, of, of governance they have. So it, it strengthens his model of governance as well as him as an individual. The countries that have this uh, widespread, chaotic democracy uh, are not doing well, and that if you have a strong man, you can do well. And it sort of it, it bolsters his model of, of, of what he calls you know, a sort of authoritarian governance. So there, you know, there's a lot of sort of arrows in his quiver, but for the past couple of years, it's this cyber approach, the intervention in the elections um, and related sort of political um, um, activity around the cyber approach that has gained the most attention. But then last week, David, Putin makes a speech. And in the speech, He's provocative in a way that you can't imagine a Russian leader being provocative during the Cold War when we took these things more seriously, in which he's talking about new missiles and and, and he shows a video of some merved missile, you know, heading for Florida, you know, Mar-a-Lago. So right, 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 right. right you at, sure know how to hurt a guy while he's out playing golf. You know? Right, it's like right at the president's um, house. And and I, I just, you you wrote a piece about that these two, um, these are these are these are two big components of the 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 the, the Putin game plan going forward. And I just thought sure. maybe you could talk a little about that. So um, Putin at this point doesn't have many cards to play economically. I mean, you know, the the other great connection he has with Italy is that their economies are about the same size. Okay. Um, he is looking for asymmetric power, which is to say he can't take the United States on directly, but he can find places of weakness, Syria, Crimea, he was able to pull right off. The White House. He's up for re-election, and so he's looking for something that will bring him what Crimea brought him, which was some big temporary popular support. So what's he do the other day? He goes up, he gives this speech, which is normally long and ponderous. He's got video. Okay. All right. He's, all right. And, and he's thinking about one thing, which is that Rosa has been out looking for silos, you know, for the past year or so. Putin, and, Putin's got, thinks about Rosa a lot. He actually. does. Oh, I, right? I think he does. <laughs> Gmail keeps telling me that, that foreign powers are trying to hack my Gmail. I'm pretty sure it's him. Uh, uh, could be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, so he's thinking, Rosa, and he's thinking, what is it that I can put in the arsenal that will make it useless, whatever 
whatever silo it is that by the way i think Corey is off this weekend with putin i don't know you know she's <laughs> she said she was unavailable <laughs> yeah. and you know I, we will have to go figure no, this no. out Corey will be back next week folks okay. for those of you who are missing Corey, i don't want you to feel like she's Correct. she's disappeared go on so um you never say that when i'm off for the week i, no, I don't do. understand oh, sure. yeah. oh of course sure. so anyway so it's so after what, ian turns the microphone <laughs> off right so so it's uh so what's he announced he announces that he's got uh, invincible weapons, and then he rolls out a bunch of weapons that the Pentagon has either known about or suspected about for some number of years or months, one of which was in the Nuclear Posture Review. That's this um, autonomous torpedo that you would launch even if Russia was a smoking ruin from, you know, Sokolin or something, and a day later it would show up in a cobalt in radioactive <laughs> fireball in L.A. Okay? And then he's got a bunch of others. But what, what do they all have in common? That we're sitting here building missile defenses that intercept missiles as they reenter the atmosphere, and he shows off three or four weapons that never leave the atmosphere. They're cruise missiles that suddenly change direction. They're torpedoes and so forth. His basic message is, go spend yourself to death on missile defenses. We're focusing on getting around them. And on that, he's probably right. While they well, don't have the weapons yet, when they do, it will defeat missile defense. When, when, I, else when you talk to nuclear weapons experts, they'll note that missile defenses are sort of useful against the North Koreas or the Irans. Half the time. You know, part of the time. Yeah. But they, no one expected that they would be useful against the Russians. That's right. However, however, in the new uh, missile defense review that's coming out, we believe there is some language, at least in the draft, suggesting that our new missile defenses should be designed to go take into account the Russia and China problems, which would mean you should immediately, you know, drop out of listening to this podcast and call your broker and start buying into whatever companies built add into the missile defenses because it would become a huge spending boondoggle at, at, at that moment. So will any of this happen? I don't know. Will Putin's uh, weapon show up? Probably. What have we learned about him? That he has figured out that cyber is the weapon he can use and cause chaos and nuclear is the weapon he can talk about and cause some chaos here and probably cause us to spend billions of dollars on things that are unlikely to work over the long term. This was, in effect, Reagan's uh, philosophy vis-a-vis -vis the Soviet Union, was to talk about uh, Star Wars and cause them to have to spend a lot of money on something that they couldn't afford. Um, uh, but so you remember, you remember Ray, when, when Reagan proposed the, the Strategic Defense Initiative, Star Wars, it was criticized... Uh, as a, a modern-day Maginot line by a lot of the Reagan administrations. Well, I guess what Putin is saying is, look, you've got your Maginot line. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to find a way around that it. In, in, what, in what he's saying. And, and, and the reason he's concentrating on cyber is it's the cheapest way of dealing with modern warfare. It doesn't require huge amounts of expenditure. So. It, it's dirt cheap, and we don't we don't do much to fight back. And the right. best the best He's quote of the already right the best quote of the week, other than if you had to go down one from Wilbur Ross, belonged to Paul Nakasone, who was up for confirmation as the new head of the National Security Agency and the head of Cyber Command. Uh, he's currently the head of Army Cyber. He's a very savvy 
Army Army officer in dealing with cyber. I've known him for a number of years. He was under uh, interrogation in front of the Senate, and they, he was basically asked the question, um, do the Russians in any way see a penalty for doing these cyber attacks? And he said about all of America's cyber adversaries, not just the Russians, I would say right now they do not think much will happen to them. They, do, they don't fear us. And mm-hmm. he had that right. Yeah. I, I wondered, though, whether Putin's speech about, you know, we have big, scary missiles that will reach you no matter whatever you do, was even really aimed at us, at, at, at a U.S. audience Well, it was certainly place. aimed at you, Rosa. <laughs> well, I took it very personally. But, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, I, I actually read that as, as uh, for a domestic audience, not, right. not, you know, that wasn't really intended to shake up or change or get a reaction out of the United States, and and it and although it I'm didn't. sure Trump listened and said, "I want an invincible <laughs> missile too." Yeah, give me one of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, or or just I really want to be your friend. <laughs> I want to be your friend. If you've got big missiles, can yeah. we be pals? Um, but but yeah, so I I didn't. I, I read that as more of a footnote of Putin playing to his own his own uh, bases, his own constituencies. Except what? some of these projects have been underway for a while. Yeah, they may yeah, or may not. Yeah. They may or may not work. Uh-huh. But but I do think this this broader issue of what what's the penalty keeps coming up. Because, you know, you had Mike Rogers saying not enough is being done and I haven't been asked to go the extra mile to take them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had this revelation that the State Department had $120 million allocated to it to help combat, you know, these Russian cyber intrusions and hacking and stuff, and that the State Department has spent zero dollars of it, well, and that's... that nobody on the 23-person staff who works for this little department speaks Russian. That's a whole other story. I mean, that that office is the... Is the... Uh, successor to a whole series of similarly dysfunctional uh, uh, offices supposed to do information operations and so forth. We're, so we're I, not good I'm at not this. sure that's yeah. a Russia story as opposed to just a... <laughs> no, this is something that the Obama administration yeah. did terribly yeah. and that the Tillerson uh, State Department is barely doing at all. This but, is really one of the, the ironies of this debate that we're having over Russian intrusions and Russian meddling, and that is that we're not devoting the same amount of energy to the question of how do you deter this? This should be a huge national issue, uh, which requires money, which requires organization, which requires leadership, and we're simply giving them an open license because we're, we're doing none of those things. Well, David, this you, is a great you, tragedy. They see this as, a, in effect, a pass to do what they want to do because we're not... The Defense Department does have a stand-up command to deal with some kinds of cyber warfare. But there a lot of the political elements of the cyber warfare. We do not have a strategy, and they're going to use it more and more uh, in, in other parts of the, of the world, as well as the U.S., certainly in Europe. And every European election can count on this and already has already seen it. Okay, so I'm going to do something. Fortunately, I can see and hear in the, the top-secret uh, studio in the third sub-basement that Rosa and Ed and David are seated. I'm assuming Bob is seated because I want to say something that I think everybody needs to be seated for. But David, you're the best journalist in America at dealing with cyber issues. I don't think anybody does a better job than you do 
at we're covering supposed to be this seated stuff. because we're so shocked that you're complimenting David. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> what is Correct. he drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. But 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 you are, and, and we so, agree. And you are yeah, dealing with you, unanimous. Where there's unanimous agreement around this table at a, and in your home. Um, about I'm not sure about that about my home. <laughs> don't don't leave to any conclusions. But but you're out there. Do would do you seriously see any little places where there's pockets of hope? in the U.S. government, that somebody is doing something about this? Or in your view, is this kind of, you know, just for a variety of reasons, whether they're bureaucratic or their policy, an area of sort of egregious under-preparation? It's egregious um, absence of strategic thought. It's just what Bob uh, was saying before. We have built up a cyber command and a national security agency that is technologically the best at what they do. But they can't use most of these weapons because if you uh, live in uh, what Michael Solmeyer up at Harvard calls the glassiest house, you are the most subject to the rocks being thrown. So every time we come up to the debate of let's use our cyber weapon to do X, unplug Putin from the financial system, reveal his connections to, with the oligarchs. I'm glad you're sitting down because it turns out Vladimir Putin's got a lot of financial connections to what? the oligarchs, really. What? Okay, <laughs> So all those things that one might do or unplug their networks, we all of a sudden say, okay, and then what? What happens back to us? And the answer is we're always more vulnerable to a inferior cyber powers counterattack than they are to our superior attack at the beginning, unless you want to completely unplug the country, which would be basically a state of warfare. So we've got this great arsenal, and we can't figure out how to use it. And That's they've right. there, got... There's an imbalance here that really, you know, even a small power can be very disruptive to us. Yeah, look at North Korea. I mean, yes. they've, they've been, you know, they have managed to disrupt the cryptocurrency market. They managed to disrupt a Hollywood studio. They've gone after banks in South Korea. And they're South Korea, they're North Korea. They You don't think of them as a giant cyber power. Well, you know, I think this is an interesting thing, right? What 25 years ago, 27 years ago, Soviet Union fell. And we entered a period in which there was one dominant superpower, whether it was called the Ypres power, as they called it in France, but it was a big dominant superpower. And so the stakes were really high for everybody to spend the past almost three decades coming up with better ways to be asymmetric. You know, to, 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 to and, you know, terrorism is kind of the old fashioned, low grade way to do this sort of traditional, you know, terrorism that goes bang. But this is but, high tech asymmetry. Right. But, but, we, but we're, we're very vulnerable. And the more the irony of this is we're very efficient because of our connectivity in this country. But we're also much more vulnerable than anyone else if we can't defend it. And that is a big challenge. Now, now you know, the, there are other Russian, you know, stories that are swirling around here as we as we, we've got, you know, five, six, seven minutes left. And Ed, I want I know that you've been following very closely the story of the Russian hooker in jail in Thailand. <laughs> and 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 I you know, I just wanted to get your take on whether we should take this story seriously. By the way, I just heard Hormat hang up. You know, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna step out for this. I'm gonna step avoid the hooker discussion. Maybe she's not a hooker. Maybe she's escort. An escort. escort. And she's an escort. As, as, 
a specialist. I've seen her described as a sex specialist. <laughs> well, she was participating in a sex training event in Thailand. That's how she got into hot water. With oh, then the she was on the beach. Yeah, she didn't that's have right. a, a appropriate Thai work permit to work as a sex trainer on the beach. I don't know how you apply for that permit, but I, I'm also the wrong person to ask. But I can't hang up because I'm in the studio. Um, I, I actually haven't been following this story. Um, I find that impossible to believe. I, I, well, David Sanger, I know, has been following the story. Tell I, me. I have I have read this, but I have not researched the permit issues that clearly <laughs> Rose has been thinking about with some care. David, I'm reading all of this yeah, in your newspaper. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was quite a read, I have it, to say. It was. The, New it was quite Times, a read. the New York Times writes about this stuff. Hey, this is the new New York Times, man. You know, this, yeah. this is not your Bob Hormat's New right. York Times, this right? Is, <laughs> <laughs> it's not at least as bad as Washington Post, where all headlines now say things like "an escort, sex teaching." You'll be surprised what happens next. <laughs> Other kinds of those are called contextual yeah. headlines. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it's just. I mean, th- so, so I mean, the first thing this tells you is people have figured out that the get out of jail free. Uh, card these days, no matter what you were in jail for, is to tell somebody that if they let you out of jail, you can inform the Mueller investigation in some way. And uh, uh, the 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 uh, woman in question here has apparently said to a number of reporters and others that if she is let out of jail, she can talk about some Russian oligarch who uh, she overheard discussing? No, no, she's being a little more election. specific than that. She says she has more than sixteen hours of audio recordings that document Russia. Well, you're no one if you don't have tapes these days, yeah. right? Yeah. So she's right. not just saying I happen to know some stuff. She's saying I've got the goods. And, she, and, she and is, also, she is, by the way, only twenty-one years old. But also, it she is known for hanging out with Oleg Deripaska, right? Who is a central character in this whole thing. And so that adds just this little fillip of cre- you know, credibility to the whole thing. But let's let's just use this to segue then in in the last couple of minutes back to Mueller, where it seems like he's zeroing in. I mean, you know, there have been other stories about other countries and so forth that have that have, you know, sort of sought Kushner influence and so forth. But but he really seems to be zeroing in on Russia and Russiagate. And the involvement of the president and the people around the president, almost exactly as it was originally envisioned that he would be doing. So he's subpoenaed, if you believe what you hear from some of the people who have been witnesses or have been questioned by people, he appears to have subpoenaed communications that uh, ran through uh, or were sent to um, President Trump as a candidate. Uh, Hope Hicks, Steve Bannon, uh, Manafort, Gates, that whole collection. But what's interesting is that he's going back to November of 2015. So it's just a couple of months after Trump announces for the presidency. So that's going to encompass an awful lot of people and an awful lot of time. And the chances that he sees something else in one of these emails – because remember, his mandate is to investigate the Russia charges and all related matters. Right. And we do not know how he is interpreting all related matters. Well, actually, it's, it's not just all related. It's actually 
and all matters he encounters while investigating the Russia matters. Well, they don't actually have to be related. He just has I, to encounter I, them. No, I think I think David, you're right. I think it's it's some. I don't remember the precise language. Something like any criminal activity uncovered in the process. Yeah. So, but it certainly certainly it gives him pretty wide latitude or to, to at least for himself. Hand over to the Justice Department yeah. something that he says is outside of his lane, but important. Yeah. Do you, do you see anything in the way this has been handled in the past couple of weeks that suggests to you a, a quickening, a change of pace, a, a, you know? It's really hard to say. I mean, uh, I, I don't think any of us have the slightest idea. I think one thing that Mueller has been extraordinarily adept at is, is uh, uh, keeping the lid on his investigation. There have been astonishingly few leaks uh, coming out of his investigation, so... I, I think we, we're everybody is speculating, but who really knows? Yeah, it's, and the leaks, by the way, are so transparent. They'll go, you know, so and so. This guy Nunberg was like yeah. being interviewed, and then like the next day was, well, someone who's spoken to the investigation has said they're asking a lot of questions about such and such, and you're like, oh man, you know, I mean, if I can figure that out at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, I wonder I, how I, I see Mr. Mr. The mysterious Mr. Nunberg is says he won't comply with a uh, federal grand jury subpoena and that he thinks it would be really funny if they arrest him. I have a feeling he'll have an opportunity to experience that. Did he say that? That, that yeah, enjoyable activity. He did say that. He 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 said he wasn't going to comply <laughs> and that he thought it would be funny. Yes. Wow, that doesn't seem That's like an a offbeat sense of humor. <laughs> super, we couldn't, super wise. We approach could, to we could invite him on deep state. I mean, that's sort of a deep state kind of view. Isn't yeah, it? no, yeah. well, yeah, we could well, someday. We'll just have an all felons deep state, and we we can all listen because we wouldn't qualify. But you know, let me ask you a question. You you Ed write for a an, a newspaper that's published in another country, but you live in a place where n- no one can talk about anything else. And I'm just wondering what the tension... Okay, I just would like to announce that that was David Rothkop's phone. Yeah. I'm so glad I called it. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Nicely done. Um, But but I'm just, you know, I mean, is there a, uh, you know, insatiable appetite for this at the Financial Times? Not insatiable, but I mean, you could argue with the Christopher Steele connection that the British deep state is, you know, playing a role here too. In um, helping uh, uncover the, what Trump's been up. Well, to. you you read this uh, Jane Meyer New York, New Yorker article? Yeah, it's a, it's an as you would expect from Jane. It's an exceptionally good piece. It I think pretty much bolsters um, what the more generous interpreters of Steele have said about him, which is so far he's not been disproved, and there's a lot still to refute. But he hasn't been refuted yet. He's got pretty good bona fides. He's a Russian speaker who goes back almost 30 years now in terms of working in Russia on and off. And he had alerted many security agencies um, in different parts of the world, including the FBI, before on other issues that he came across during the course of his investigations for his private consultancy. So this idea that he went to the FBI, he went to the Hillary campaign and the FBI on a one-off sort of burn Trump mission is, I think, pretty comprehensively uh, laid to rest by the Jane by the Jane Meyer article. Um, so we've got we've got a lot of appetite for this story. The, the whole world does. It's it's important. So I haven't read Jane's piece yet, and I'm sure it's fabulous because it's Jane. When I met Steele, which was only one time while he was here, sort of moving the uh, 
the, the uh, memo around to various news organizations, I was struck by one thing in our conversation. Was it like in a parking garage late at night? And he's like <laughs> afraid to say it was on the second floor of a restaurant in DuPont Circle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How boring. Yeah. I, you know, 35 years in this business, I haven't met anyone in a parking lot yet. And I haven't been signaled yet by moving a flower, a flowering plant. Time. You know? Be patient. Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm aspiring to that. So there the you future. are, DuPont Circle. So there we are in DuPont Circle. And what he says is that because he couldn't go back into Russia, because obviously the Russians, he was not exactly completely welcome there, he was reliant on people who he knew or who his old sources knew. And so he wasn't fully, if I just take him at face value, he wasn't fully certain of who the people were who were providing him all of this information. I think he knew who some of them were. And as a reporter, that always makes me a little bit nervous. I kind of like to know who my sources are. And um, Jane's overall conclusion is right. There are a lot of things in the report that have turned out to be either true or consistent with other things we've learned. There are a few things that haven't been, which is what you would expect when you get something that's essentially raw intelligence. Yeah, but also, and I think this is an important thing, it wasn't a story in the New York Times. No. It wasn't a government report. That's right. It was a document that was prepared by a private contractor to provide some perspective on a situation um, you know, with a single source and knowing that a lot of the people behind it were not you know, saying who they were. It was just, it was designed to provide some fodder, right? That's it. And, 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 and by the way, first for a Republican source and then for a Democratic source, right? I mean, it was initially paid for by Republicans. Although they, the company was initially under a contract with Republicans. They were not paying for this report. Okay. So, but they had relationships. Yeah, Paul, Singer, Paul Singer was paying for it, right? Yeah. Hmm. Um, but in any event, this, you know, I mean, if some people talk say and say, ah, well, you know, Steele was wrong about this, or this is still, in the, or it hasn't all been proven. What well, didn't all have to be proven? There was that was not a standard of this thing. It was just here's a report. It was out there. Some of it is credible. If some of it's credible, you need to explore the other parts of it, particularly if they're explosive, right? Um, so, you know, I, it, it's 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 interesting that he keeps coming back. It's interesting, I, I think more that this dossier is still in the center of the discussion, still worth Jane Meyer writing a story about it, still, you know, because it's 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 got some legs. It's surviving, right? Uh, it is. And, um, you know, I, I don't know Steele. I, I know people who do know him, former MI6 I th- people. I thought, I thought, like all you Oxbridge guys, like, knew each other and were, like, in smoking jackets at some club and... That people who do have work with him say he's like, and this is quoted in Jane's article, but this is an exact quote um, uh, th- that he's like Marmite. Uh, you either love him or you hate him. That is, for those who don't know, the disgusting British, I hate Marmite, the disgusting British um, condiment that you, you It's put made on. from like yeast or something. Like yeah, it's, it's yeasty disgusting. and sort of vomit making kind of stuff. But um, some people love it. Um, and Steele had that effect on his colleagues, which is, you know, there, weren't, there wasn't much middle ground. Interesting. Um, do you like Marmite, by the way, Rosa? Uh, no, I don't like Marmite, but but Steel certainly does sound very dashing. I was thinking of changing my name to Rosa Steel so I could become an international about espionage Rosa figure. Aluminium. I think mm, that's doesn't, got a ring it doesn't to it. have the same <laughs> ring to it. Sorry. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> I 
frankly, Rosa Brooks is pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's that's like a pretty you know good you know nobody in a spy novel. I don't know. Like no, come on. Rothkopf, David Rothkopf. People They're in like, spy what? novels are always <laughs> named Steel. I, yeah. I, I'm still trying. I'm name. trying to imagine Rosa as an MI6 agent. Oh, just, I'd be so good at it. And she she would be so good at yeah. it. Right. She, in fact, uh-huh. she probably is good at it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You don't know. <laughs> we just don't know. Don't call it deep state radio for nothing. You know, I have to say something before we <laughs> leave off the air. One of the things that's been really interesting in the past couple of weeks to me is the visibility of both of your parents writing articles out there that you have been out there prom- and they in particular your mother just won this big award she did she won a big prize called the Erasmus prize which i'm embarrassed to say i had never heard of until she won it but but apparently it's a big prize it's a, a big dutch and it's from the dutch a dutch foundation and the dutch foundation very nicely said that they would bring all of us including my my two children off to amsterdam to watch my my mother, their grandmother, get this award at the Royal Palace or something like that. So we're all very excited because we don't get invited to Royal Palaces all that often. Do you think that we should all go with Rosa and you, do you can, the first absolutely. deep state radio broadcast from a Dutch palace? A Dutch we should. Palace. Or we, we should. could be in a little, like... Maybe if I say that you're all part of my family, we, they'll pay for you, too. We're kind of like family, yeah. aren't kind we? Of, yeah. By the way, people who <laughs> yeah. listen to Deep State Radio, when you say, I don't go to palaces much, you know, they remember back to you dissing the Queen That's of England. That's true. That's probably why I don't get invited back to palaces all that much. <laughs> During the episode, also, Ed was here, and Ed was kind of like, I don't want to talk yeah. about it. I don't, <laughs> I don't wish to speak of the Queen. But it's <laughs> adding to the dissing, actually. But it's it's true. My parent, my dad is my dad is busily uh, writing pieces for Slate, so everyone should follow him too. My mother, to my extreme irritation, and I can say this because unlike my father, who does listen to our podcast, she doesn't listen to our podcast. That's um, outrageous. I, I take back everything well, good she, I said. To my extreme irritation, she asked me and my brother for help getting on Twitter because she didn't really understand Twitter and. Apparently she had a Twitter account, but she'd let the she's, intern she's somewhere. A lot now. She let the intern tweet, and it turned out that the intern was sort of like a you know single issue trans rights guy. So her, her entire <laughs> Twitter account for a year or so seemed to be surprisingly dedicated to trans rights, which she supports, but you know wasn't really necessarily her that's big kinda, thing. That's how funny. Um, sort but of so sad she. Piece. She said, I'm going to seize back my Twitter account from the intern, from the trans rights intern, and please help me get some followers. So we rashly tweeted out, you know, follow mom. And, you know, about 27 seconds later, she had more followers than I did. Um, so she's 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 just burning up. Well, the I have Twitter to say, sphere. because she's your mom. She I mean, she's also mom. a very distinguished journalist, but she's it's, she's your mom. I retweet it. Every time, everything you. I see, when whenever, yeah, when she's there, I, I retweet it, you know, and 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 I would do the same for your daughter Mimi, by the way. Right, <laughs> she'll be on Twitter soon. It's not yet legal though. You've got to be twelve, right? Twelve. Do 12. you? And YouTube is the same same age. She she keeps asking for a YouTube account, and I say not at any age. But anyway, I cite the fact she's oh, not yeah. twelve. Yeah, we've we've had that conversation in our house as well. Uh, are any of these children Russian agents are interested in becoming they might, bots? They might be. They yeah. might be Russian. I'm pretty sure one of my children is a bot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what made you come to that conclusion, Rosa? <laughs> Uh, what an interest! Are any of your children bots, David? No, no, they've 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 you know grown up to the to the point now where they're they're beyond bottom. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, one of your stu- one of your children could actually 
build bots, right? I mean, isn't yeah. he kind of in that? Yeah, he could, that's he could, kind of his general zip code of it, interest. Yeah, he could he could do bots. <laughs> it turns out the more I've been uh, working on a book that deals a little bit with uh, this subject matter, that building bots is so simple that even like the people who go on Deep State Radio could probably do it with about a half an hour of instruction. What do you mean even the people that go on Deep State Radio? <laughs> the, the, These we, are the, some of the smartest people <laughs> in and, the world. And, and if you guys are pissed useful. off, direct it to David Sanger. I was referring, <laughs> to, the, I was referring to the four of us. Oh, you mean on the air on Deep <laughs> on State Radio? On the air on Deep State Radio, yeah, right. Uh, I'd like to do an episode where we just build a bot. That'd be great. And then the bot could actually do the broadcast. We wouldn't have to show up. Right. Or it could just retweet or just, you know, sort mm-hmm. of gin, gin up interest in deep state radio. This does raise the question. The, the it, could be the, it could be the David, you're exactly right, bot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and every time you tweet something. So here's the, here's the competition I would suggest. If we can do this. Yeah. We should have two episodes, one done by the real participants and one done by bots we build and a free coffee mug that says Deep State Radio to the person who first identifies the, the Turing test for, yeah. for, for Deep State <laughs> oh, Radio Oh, that would be bots. so embarrassing if we if we couldn't pass the Turing test. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be no, terrible. no, but we, I could see all these bots because you would make one that says, David, you're exactly, exactly right. right. And then Corey would have one that would just have her laugh. Right. And Rosa would have one that was like, oh, my God, the world is ending. <laughs> right. And then Ed would have one that says, says aluminium. aluminium. <laughs> 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 and Steel will make that bot for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Yeah, I, so somebody out there in deep state radio land is going to actually do this. And I encourage you. I, I encourage you to do it. We look forward to seeing it. We thank you for joining us this week again on Deep State Radio. And we encourage you to join us again next week when we will have Corey back and we will be talking about all sorts of things, um, possibly including Donald Trump. Who knows? But Are we getting Corey back or are we getting Corey's bot? Corey, we don't know. We don't know. No one will know. <laughs> if the bot can do the laugh, I will be impressed. Look, right. It'll be an enchanting bot. In any event... Thank you all. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, David. Thank you, Bob, who stepped off as soon as the conversation turned sour. And we'll (laughs) all see you next week. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.